0: Okay. So let's go ahead and get started today. So I'll be introducing to you the five stages of the grief and loss cycle. So if you want to get a visual of this, you definitely want to head over to Google, um, type in the five stages of grief, the two individuals, um, or I'll just say the name of the people who developed the theory is Kubler and Ross. So K-U-B-L-E-R and Ross, and they developed the five stages of grief and loss. And the reason why I thought this topic would be very applicable to what's happening right now in our global universe and our economy is that um, a lot of individuals... Don't really know how they feel. They don't know what to feel. They don't know if it's okay to feel something and they can't find the words to describe it. So, two weeks ago, I happened to be meeting with one of my adolescent clients, and as she was talking about everything she was missing out on because this is her 11th grade year, um, her best friends are seniors, so clearly their end of the year got cut short. I started recognizing that, wow, she sounds just like someone who I would do grief and loss uh, counseling with. And so I decided to go with my gut and introduce to her the grief and loss cycle. And believe it or not, she was able to resonate with the cycle, which I'll share with you in a moment, um, 1000%. And it was actually able, like she she was able to easier... Um, I don't even know if that makes sense, but she was able to communicate more effectively with her mother. And I was as well, as far as explaining what was actually happening with her so that we can put a name to it. Because let's be honest, that is typically what probably drives us the most like, you know, insane, crazy, like, uh, like all over the places because we're walking around, like it has to be a name to this. Like, this is crazy, you know? And so, let me go over the grief and loss stages. And what I would want you to do is think back specifically related to COVID-19 because I do understand that people experience grief and loss on multiple levels. So with grief and loss, we are talking about it in terms of how it's applicable to you in, re- in relation to COVID-19. But grief and loss can actually be applied to two, two different groups of people. It can be um, linked to you, of course, losing a loved one to death, right? And that could be COVID-19 as well, but People identify with, um, you know, different family members or friends that passed away and they've been through this cycle and not realized it because they didn't have a name for it. And then there's a second group of people that are actually walking amongst us, but we would call them what we would consider maybe the walking dead. Maybe they have lost a part of themselves. Maybe they have lost um, a relationship, a marriage, you know, but somebody's still alive, you know? So, I'm going to introduce to you the five stages of grief and loss. And I want you to identify based off of what you've experienced during COVID-19, what stage are you currently in? And then if you can take a look back, can you actually see yourself going through the other stages? So, and, and let me just say this about these stages, because unlike other psychological theories that go in order, meaning you cannot go to level three unless you made it to level two and processed what you needed to go through this stage, you can actually bounce around, Other than I'm going to say the first and the last stage. Okay. The first and the last stage are pretty straight to the point, but the stages in between, you can literally bounce back and forth. So the first stage is denial and or shock, AKA shock. So denial and or shock. So what that would look like is someone said, oh, have you watched the news? You do know that it's a virus going around and they say it's worse than the flu. You know, let's just say someone told you that. Then you may brush it off like, ah, it's just flu season. Oh, it's not a big deal. So if you are watching live, then, you know, I I like to get feedback. So share some stars or or whatever that has on, I'm used to Instagram. So share whatever they have on Facebook, a thumbs up, if that makes sense to you, if you can actually remember yourself going back to that moment and probably low key brushing it off as though it wasn't a big deal. A lot of people did that. And there's nothing wrong with that because we, as I know, have never experienced something Specifically, like this, you know, that has impacted our economy. Maybe the global crises for real estate, but not necessarily that would impact our health, not in the last 10 years, okay? So, denial slash shock is, you, and denial slash shock can also look like you're not recognizing um, that it's a big deal and you don't want to accept that that is our truth right now. You're like, no, that can't be happening. Like, you know, I, I just went to the doctor, I was fine, everybody around me is fine. So, that's denial slash shock. Now, the second and third stage, I'm actually going to talk about them collectively because these are the first set that people literally will bounce back and forth for possibly a long period of time. So let me give you a disclaimer as well. Um, When we mention grief and loss and mental health, uh, grief and loss doesn't have a timeline. And what that means is. Some people may be in the shock denial stage. Some people may, I mean, I've worked with victims of crime um, program in Richmond, California. And when I was living up there, Richmond was um, the number four worst cities in the United States. Uh, Oakland was number one. St. Louis was number two. This was back in 2005. And Compton was number 11. So I moved actually to a worse city than the one that I came from. And so um, when I lived up there and I worked with victims of crime, you know, in the four years that I was there, I have met, and this may resonate with you, because I'm trying to explain in layman's terms, so you can so you can relate to these stories. Some of the cases that I've seen. So, in particular, and this may be you, one grandmother lost her daughter. I met the grandmother because she was referring her grandson. Her grandson's mother was murdered by her fa- by his father. So the dad killed the mom, and then the siblings. And I'm telling you this for a reason. The siblings saw, found the mom's. Sorry, this is too gory, but the the, the siblings found the mom in the park. Okay, that's all I'll say. So the child was only two years old. He has no recollection of what happened. Other than them having a shrine for his mother in the living room, he vaguely remembers her because he was only two. And when I saw him, he was seven. The reason I'm using this as an example of denial slash shock and that grief and loss doesn't have a timeline is that everybody can go through grief and loss differently. So I'm also saying that because you may be looking at other people and wondering, well, why are they so antsy? Why are they having breakdowns? Why are they angry? And everybody experiences grief and loss very differently, even if you're still alive. So with this grandmother, she actually was very detached from what was happening with her other children that were impacted differently. So some of her children turned to alcohol. Some of her children turned to drugs. Some of her children turned to just not doing nothing with motivation, being very depressed. For her, she dove back into work. And some people from the outside looking in or people who don't understand, I'm going to say the poverty community, the lower SES community, you may assume like, oh, she just don't want to talk about it. She don't want to process it. What's the problem? She's being resistant. She's not being resistant. The fact of the matter is she raised four grown children and overnight because of the death of her daughter, her only daughter with three sons, she had to become another mother instantaneously. Um, of taking care of her two-year-old grandson because clearly his father couldn't take care of him because he had gotten arrested, okay? And so um, there's no timeline. And I saw her five years after her daughter was killed and she still could not really talk about the death, okay? So she ended up diving into work. Why? Because she had to take care of her family. So I want you to gauge when... It needs to be appropriate enough. Excuse the helicopter. But it needs to be appropriate where you need to seek out help because that's ultimately what I'm going to get to. You may view I got to go to work. I got to focus on my kids. I have to do X, Y and Z to keep yourself busy, not to think about the loss. And some people view that as healthy, like I'm resilient. I bounce back. But at some point, your bag will open. It's called baggage. Okay, so. That stage one is denial slash shock. Stage two and three is anger and sadness. So question for those of you who are watching live or watching later is which emotion do you believe comes first for us? Is it that people experience sadness first or they experience anger first, right? So if you're watching live, go ahead and put your answer in the chat box. So the correct answer is that anger is more than likely experienced initially I'm sorry. Sadness is, sorry about that. Sadness is actually, um, experienced initially and then anger is the residual impact or effect or, um, reaction. Okay. And so, um, a prime example, but a small one would be when we were kids and people would like roast each other, like talk about each other. Right. So even if you don't like your mama, or your grandmama, whoever the family member is that they were roast, but typically it would be like, yo mama, you know, um, the child would immediately become hurt inside. Like, no, they did not talk about my mama. But the reaction that they have is actually anger. Why? Because anger is actually more socially accepted, even though we don't like people to get angry. Let's be honest. If we look at males, specifically black and brown males, look at what's accepted. Look at what we tell our children. I even have to catch myself when I'm talking to my son that's two years old. Like, stop whining because I want him to use his words. But I have to be very honest that I have to check myself a lot because I do want him to grow up and to be able to verbalize himself. I want him to be able to verbalize himself and not to feel afraid to vocalize his emotions. But the way that we raise our children possibly is um, a residual impact to how we were raised as well. You know, so I can go into a whole probably five month series on parenting, you know, but we ultimately act out what we observed, which is also why people um, experience grief and loss differently. So anger and sadness are the second and third stages. And if you imagine during the COVID-19 era, you can bounce back between being sad that maybe you were taken off work, but being angry because like, the world shouldn't be happening like this and people should be able to pay their rent or their mortgage. You're sad maybe for your child, but then you might low-key be angry at the school because They may not agree to a virtual graduation, but is it the school's fault or is it that the school can't make a decision right now because they don't know what's going to happen? Everybody's in shambles. And I think in times like this, we often point the blame. And what did our parents used to teach us? Don't point finger because what at least three of them, if your finger is like mine on the screen, pointing up the thumb, that at least three fingers are pointing back at you. So be very mindful that everybody right now does not know the right and 100% correct decision to make. So what happens when we're uneasy or unsure? Anxiety comes up. And if you look at the definition of anxiety, anxiety, anxiety is just a lack of control. You don't feel like you have control over something, so your body goes into the fight or flight response, which sometimes you feel like is out of your control again. Okay? So stage one, again, as a recap, because I got two more stages. Stage one is denial. Stage two and three are anger and sadness. And then stage four is bargaining. Now, bargaining may look when you go to a funeral or someone has passed away, it may be someone bargaining with their higher power. So bargaining could look like, you know, God, why did they have to take my, if, let's just say if it was a child, like that mother, why did they have to take my daughter? I'm older. I live life already. Why you couldn't take me if it was somebody's time to go? That's bargaining. So you may have found yourself bargaining with a physical person right now and or bargaining with the higher power, which for us in this group, it would be God trying to figure out why is it that this is happening? I've done nothing but right things. And, and I lost this person. I don't, I don't understand. Like how did they contract it? Like we've been healthy. I don't understand. Like, you know, we tithe, we read the Bible, we go to church, we understand the word, you know what I'm saying? We're involved. We're a servant. But this deal hit me though? You know, like, come on. Like, why? That's the bargaining. So, I'm also giving you this information because a lot of individuals who are experiencing what I'm describing. They may view it as abnormal and then you feel like something is wrong with you. And I'm here to tell you that, yes, you should go get help, especially if it's impacting academic performance if you're in school, occupational functioning, if you're currently working even from home and or in the field, and or if it's um, impairing your relationships with family or friends or loved ones, meaning your tolerance is a lot shorter and now you're causing arguments for no reason, then yeah, you may want to go talk to somebody, okay? So... After bargaining, the last fifth stage is clearly, um, acceptance. Okay, so with acceptance, um, a lot of people don't like to even reach that stage or say that they've reached that stage because and I've asked some women who I worked with where they were coming either from prison or off the streets, um, drugs, prostitution. They clearly had lost a piece of themselves. So I had to educate them on this process, the grief and loss, and that we just got to get you back. But a new you, not the old you, you know. And so what I asked them is, why is it that you've put off? Grieving the loss of you and or a loved one, because for some of them, it was a parent. And one of the women spoke up in the group. This was a couple of years, about 10 years ago now. And she said, I feel like if I accept it, that means that I'm forgetting them. I'm forgetting where I came from. I'm forgetting my mother. And I'm like, well, that's not true. Yes, you have memories. And acceptance is not forgetting. It's accepting the fact that you've processed this loss and that you're accepting that it's another chapter waiting for you. And you have to decide how you want to live out that chapter. So after you've recognized, hopefully from this excerpt activity today, um, of what stage of, ch- not stage, of change, stage of the grief and loss process that you're currently in, I would highly encourage you if you need to seek out help. I am a essential, essential provider. I am a mental health provider. I'm currently in my home office. I do 100% of my therapy online, but there are agencies that are still open that are seeing clients online. Um, Clearly, if you go to our church, um, my rule is that I prefer not to see um, church members for one-on-one or family or group therapy. If it were workshops, that's different. Um, But that's just my boundary line. However, I am here for referrals. So some of the referrals that I have for you today is psychologytoday.com. When you go there, you simply plug in your zip code. You preferably should check what insurance you have, kind of like shopping for a therapist, and sort out who, what type of therapist you're looking for. Um, if you know that you want individual family or you know therapy for your child, then you can sort that out because you want to make sure it's a good match for a therapist. Um, also, I am a um, advisory council uh, member of the um, Taraji P. Henson Foundation. So if you go to Boris, B-O-R-I-S, L. Henson Foundation, and I know that the creative team is going to watch this or they're watching now. So if we can put or plug in this website, on here I'll I'll give you a little bit more information about it but if you go to Boris L. Henson foundation.org and you um, fill out a form as a potential client if you do not have insurance and or if you've been actually trying to find a therapist but she, but nobody has been calling you back or you haven't found someone who actually can help you with your problem we are catering services specifically only though to covid-19 so this is my disclaimer for that If you had trauma or something that you hadn't processed before COVID-19 happened, I would actually encourage you, If you do go that route and fill out that form, if you don't have coverage and you need therapy right now, we can give you up to five sessions once we match you with a therapist, which you actually have to go on the database and find a therapist and then plug it into the form. But you can only see the therapist for only up to five sessions. There is no extension. There is no, I had trauma prior and I need 10 sessions. Your job, and I'm telling you, please do this. When you link yourself with the therapist, please let them know, what your history is so that they can do their due diligence with saying maybe we, we can work for five sessions, but Part of our goal would be primarily linking you with a provider that can see you long-term because maybe you can't pay their private pay fee. Maybe you're not working right now. Maybe you're not going back to work. I'm not sure, but you can go to the Foundation.org, and we are catering to clients all over the United States. So you will be matched with somebody in your state, a licensed mental health provider, whether they're a marriage and family therapist, counselor, clinical social worker, psychologist, psychiatrist, A lot of us are on that platform, but you have to see someone that's licensed in your state. Okay. So go to that website, go to psychology today as well. If you have insurance, I would encourage you to go to psychologytoday.com and also call your insurance, tell them exactly what type of therapist you're looking for. So don't just say, I want a therapist. If you want a woman, say, I want a female therapist. If you want a male therapist, you want a male therapist. Now, depending on how niche down you get, as far as your ideal therapist Just note that they'll tell you who's in the platform on the panel, but that doesn't mean that they have availability. So they'll typically give you maybe three to five people, research the people online, look their profiles up on Google website Psychology Today. Read about them. Make sure they're a good match because you need to protect your history. You should not be... Shopping around for a therapist, meaning going to see five different therapists for intakes to see which one you like. You are technically opening up your Pandora's box and you gotta keep doing it over and over and over again. That's not healthy. So I'm asking you to do your due diligence as well and at and, and be as much as transparent as possible when you contact the therapist and say, Hey, I'm looking for a therapist. Um COVID-19 has impacted me. Um, I've been placed off work. I have kids at home. I have a spouse. I have anxiety, panic attacks. I can't sleep. My appetite has went up. I've just been all over the place. Tell them the truth because we can only treat you based off of what you tell us. Okay? So be as transparent as possible and answer their questions. A consultation is not a a therapy session. All you're doing is making a match. They're going to call you. They're going to schedule an appointment. And then you'll go and do your full intake. So again, if you have any further questions, please make sure that you comment if you're watching this live on Facebook and or recorded. If somebody is listening later on um, either my or the church's podcast, feel free to reach out to me. My email is hello at DrTK.com. However, I do have a rules for the email. The email system is not made for a therapy session. The email is made for suggestions of linkage. So if you say um, I have Kaiser insurance and I don't really know what to do when I call them, can you can you go through the questions that I should ask them again? That's what I'm here for. Okay, That's what I'm here for. But listen to the video again or listen to this podcast again if you need specific instructions about finding a therapist linked to your insurance. I've given at least two big ones. One of them is free for people who don't have coverage. So what I'm also telling you is that there's no excuses. The only excuse is you. You can choose to not seek out services or you can choose to live in whatever state you're in, but just note that you always have a choice. Okay. So we talked about the five stages of grief and loss. I've given you resources for mental health. And what I want to leave you with is this quote or more so statement is you need to take ownership of being a victor, not the victim. You may be a victim that succumbed to uh, a household with a lack of income right now or financial stability. You may be a quote unquote victim to housing being unpredictable right now, right? But that does not mean you have to stay in that state of mind. You get to choose what you want your next chapter to look like. And I'm encouraging you to look at the brighter side and get a picture of that person from when COVID-19 is over, because better believe how I always say on social media right now, everybody better have a book published or ready to go after COVID-19, because this will be in the history books and you will be able, hopefully, if you take the right choice pathway, you will be able to say, or tell your kids or your grand, grandkids or great-great-grandkids, like, oh, yeah, I lived through that. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah, you know, we we got impacted bad. I, I, I caught it. And I'm a survivor, too. Because we have some survivors that are not, some people are not opening up about their story. And people need to hear more about those stories. So I'm very grateful for um, two people that I know that are survivors. One of my coaching clients that's in New York, she's a psychologist. And then another person at our church, they spoke out on social media about being a survivor. This is real. Okay? But... You don't have to succumb to the negative mindset of being stuck. That's, what we're, that's why we're doing these series. So again, if you have any questions, make sure that you comment on the bottom of the Facebook um, post and I'll make sure to get to those um, by this evening. If you're on the podcast, make sure that you leave both of our channels wherever this podcast shows up. Make sure you leave us five stars and subscribe to the podcast and um, you know share on social media too. Like, Take a snapshot of me. I held my picture long enough. People in a podcast can't see it, but take a snapshot, rewind the photo and take a snapshot and, and drop on social media what you learned and also share this with other people that need to hear it because you may be surrounded around people who are stuck in their mindset. and You're like, dang, only if you can listen to what our church had today or what the podcast have today, but share this resource with them. So I'm out. You guys have a blessed day. Uh, I really hope to see you in next week's lesson. Typically what we do, or at least what I'm doing with these uh, topics, is I'm looking at the trends to where people are stuck. Also what my clients are bringing in. And this one was a big one as it relates to the grief and loss process of losing different pieces of you during this time. So I will see everybody next week. And if you're listening on the podcast, we will see you on the next episode. Bye.